Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast with your hosts, Danny and Vanessa Panzella Velez. Join us and special expert guests as we discuss love, sex, parenting, psychedelics, and spirituality. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, please visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream. Happy Sovereign Sunday. Happy Sovereign Sunday. <laughs> I'm Danny Panzella Velez. And I'm Vanessa Velez Panzella. And we're really happy that you decided to join us today. <laughs> yeah. So today we want to talk about something that has been, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say infighting, but there's a lot of controversy over this topic. Um, so we want to talk about how, um, well, what's the actual title? Cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural appropriation and the modern indigenous medicine movement. So that's our, that's the title of our show today. Um, and this is going to trigger a lot of people probably, and we hope it will. And we mean trigger in a positive way, because whenever we get triggered, it's an opportunity for us to look at what our belief systems are and why we hold those belief systems and where they originated from and why we, and whether or not we can decide whether or not we want to continue to carry those belief systems, because sometimes they come from old, um, old systems of thought, um, that we haven't really looked at in a while. And, you know, they're still kind of informing our behaviors and attitudes, even though maybe we don't even agree with them anymore. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, ultimately, right. Our triggers show us where we are not free, where we're not fully free from limiting beliefs, um, um, places where we haven't healed, right. The unhealed parts of us are the parts that get triggered the most. So we hope that, um, anything that this triggers is an opportunity for you to go deeper and see where the discomfort comes from. Yeah. And so with that, I suggest we take a nice deep breath. Sure. <laughs> take a nice deep breath in. And uh, out. <sighs> yeah. Just kind of relax our bodies a little bit. So what we would ask is that you do your best to not take anything we have to say personally or make any assumptions about what you think we're saying or and just try to keep an open mind. Um because maybe we're not going in the direction you think we're going in. Um, <laughs> and, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I think a good place to start is in recognizing that there's a lot of anger in our society, especially among people of color, about colonization. And I think that no matter what your stance on colonization is, um, it's important to empathize and recognize the feelings of other people. So whether you agree or disagree that colonization has been a negative or a positive um, effect on the planet. And I actually am kind of, uh, I'm split. There are certainly benefits to certain aspects, not necessarily maybe of colonization, but certain, certain things that colonizers have brought, right? Um, certain concepts and philosophies um, have been beneficial. And there are certainly devastating effects of colonization as well. Um, and we're going to get into a lot of that uh, in a bit. But um, so I think it's important for us to empathize with the anger that people of color feel. And that's not something that I always understood or always did um, for a long time in our relationship. You know, being in an interracial relationship has taught me a lot, lot about empathizing with people that are different from me that have different cultures and look different. And, you know, the fact that I fell in love with Vanessa and she's from a Mexican descent, um, the love that I had for her as an individual 
helped me to open my perspective and see things that I couldn't see before necessarily. So I think in that sense, it's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. Um, do you want to say anything about it? Since you are a person of color <laughs> and you have both suffered the effects of colonization and also re, uh, reap some of the benefits of capitalism and some of these systems, maybe you right. can speak a little bit on it. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of energy, a lot of emotions, a lot packed into colonization and the introduction of capitalism, right? Or the the concept um, within colonization, because yes, there are great things that have resulted from um, the advance of our society. But did those things did those things require colonization? in order for them to come about or not. Mm. I mean, that's where the it the lines can be blurry, yeah. right? Because these these technological advances, do they require us eradicating an entire, you know, a, a vast majority of people? Um, I don't think that would necessarily be the case. No. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot. Um, it's a very charged subject. It's a very heavy subject. Um, I think as a person of color, I can understand the anger. I can understand the frustration and the fear of opening up our belief systems, our um, ideas to people that have in the past referred to um, our ancestors as savages, as uneducated people, as, you know, all sorts of or even just the term, terms. even just the term like folksy, right? Oh, that's folksy. That's uh, I've heard um, natural medicine or nutrition, as I like to call it, um, referred to as folksy, as if like, yeah, that's what like these folksy poor people or these these people that live in the jungle. That's what they believe, but it's not really science based. And of Until course, science confirms it. <laughs> of course, it's all science based, and science is continually confirming things that indigenous people have believed and practiced for thousands of years. Um, but even that is kind of seen is is kind of um, it's condescending a little bit. And I think I don't think necessarily when people use the term folksy that they mean it that way. But in essence, that's the core of of what they're saying. Yeah, and I you know I kind of find myself in the middle of both extremes um in the sense that i am mexican-american i was born and raised in new york city my parents came to this country when they were teenagers so they have lived the majority of their lives in the united states um and as a result of that a lot of the indigenous wisdom that they may have they could have grown up with was lost um and both of my parents come from a very small poor town in Puebla. And so a lot of the indigenous ways were lost even before my parents came to this country um, because there was so much poverty. There was, um, you know, that there's, there was also col the colonization affects major cities, but it trickles down into the smaller towns as well, where people are in such extreme poverty that then people have to leave the small towns to go into the bigger cities and, you know, then, then the new modern ways get trickled down to the small towns as well. And so there's this huge disconnect from um, the indigenous ways. And the, the town where my parents grew up in is very good about um, teaching children about culture and, and things like that and history. But growing up in New York City, I never learned any of the indigenous traditions. I didn't grow up in that way. My my parents um, were Catholic, and so we went to Catholic church, and that was the spiritual beliefs I grew up with. And so there was a period where I have always been curious about the indigenous traditions. I have books that I bought, like, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years ago about like the Aztec gods and that mythology. And I didn't understand, I didn't know where to start. I had nowhere to start and I had no nobody in my immediate family to guide me down that path. 
So it wasn't until I started my healing journey that I started reconnecting with the Aztec, um, the Mexica traditions, and through my teachers um, started you know, going down this, this path, but there was a time where I felt out of place. Like I'm not allowed to participate in these old traditions because they weren't passed down to me by my grandmother or my grandfather or my ancestors, right? I don't have a lineage of people that carried this wisdom down and passed it on to me. So for me, I felt very disconnected. Like I wasn't allowed to, to participate in any of that. And that I felt like an outsider as well. And, you know, there's there's this very famous um, scene in the Selena movie where Selena's dad tells him, you know, when you're a Mex it's very hard to be a Mexican-American. The Americans don't think you're American enough and the Mexicans don't think you're Mexican enough. So you're kind of like trying to prove your Mexicanism to the Mexicans and the Americanism to the Americans. And it's very difficult. And that's literally what it felt like. I think that line probably resonated to a lot of children of immigrants, um, because there's so much of that, so much of that pressure. And so I felt outside of it as a Mexican American person. So I can empathize with both sides, right? I can empathize with, with white people who try to enter these spaces and are met with resistance because I felt even I was met with resistance, um, or have been met or have been afraid to enter spaces because I've heard comments or seen comments I've, I've heard healers say like oh if, if this is not through your lineage then you know you don't belong here and so that has left me feeling like well i was disconnected from my lineage so how, where do i belong then i belong to nobody i'm you know i'm i'm nobody i have no indigenous wisdom i have i was raised in brooklyn and my parents did the best they could to survive and that wisdom, you know, then there's assimilation and you have to assimilate and keep your head down and adjust. And so there's so much that gets lost there. And it, it, it's very, very confusing. I also empathize with the indigenous people who have lost so much because I've lost it, right? I've lost so much. I understand what it's like to lose all of that, to lose your identity in that, in, in a sense, right? So I do find myself to be very much in the middle. <laughs> and actually, after a lot of soul searching myself, I'm able to empathize with a lot of that because for me, a lot, like what's my culture? I'm a white guy who grew up in New York City. And so what's my culture? Like capitalism and, you know, being an American. But what does that even really mean, right? I am Italian and Irish, but I've never really felt really connected to that. Um, so I also felt like I hesitate. Yeah, I think I did to some degree feel some white guilt, right? Like, oh, my lineage is colonizers. So there's no value in that. It's the, they were violent trespassers and they came and took and, and murdered and, you know, and so I think I felt ashamed of that, um, once I became aware of it. Right. I went from this being being just kind of like like this unapologetic American just kind of stomping all over everything because this is what this is the world I grew up in. Right. Like mm -hmm. I don't need to have empathy for anybody else because I'm at the top of the food chain. Right. Um, and then I kind of transitioned to recognizing how colonization has harmed people. And so now I felt guilty for that. And there was a lot of empathy as well for people of color and what they've gone through that I didn't have to go through. And I think some of that came through my cop watching activities. Um, being a cop watcher, um, I saw on the street how I was treated differently from cop watchers who were um, people of color. And I think that really helped me understand what colonization is and how it affects people on a daily basis, even today, right? Um, and then I started to realize, well, Vanessa, you know, she's on this journey exploring her Mexica and Aztec roots and Toltec wisdom. And so she starts sharing a lot of this stuff with me. And I also felt kind of jealous of it. Like, oh, I don't have that. Right. I'm just a white person. I don't have that. You know, you have, oh, wow, there's these indigenous cultures that you have. And the truth is that we're all indigenous. We all can trace our lineage back to 
in indigenous culture, no matter what tone our skin is. Um, and so that's what I started to do. I started to dig into my Celtic Druidic roots, which is kind of the indigenous, um, it's, it's really nature worship, um, the indigenous Celtic traditions and spiritual practices. And when I started doing that, I realized, oh, a lot of these things are exactly the same as the things Vanessa is finding in her indigenous <laughs> roots. So I was like, oh, okay. Then I met uh, a friend, Kale Kalahaki, who we've had on the show before talking about re-indigenization. As a matter of fact, if you want to learn more about what re-indigenization is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in this episode, but you can go back. I put the link in the show notes so you can go back and dive deeper into re-indigenization because that's exactly what we're doing. Me digging into my Celtic heritage and the spiritual practices and beliefs of that is re-indigenization. And I think it's really valuable. And that doesn't mean that now I live like a Druid, right? But it means that I'm exploring my heritage so I know who I am and where I came from, right? And now I can respect other traditions. So Kale talks about his traditions. We, he's a, a, an indigenous Hawaiian and he keeps, he's a keeper of that wisdom. He's been trained to do that. Um, and his traditions as well. It, it's, they're all very common themes. And so what Vanessa realized and, and like I was kind of mind boggled by it, she was like, yeah, of course, because all of these cultures, these indigenous cultures, all of them were about living in harmony with nature. And that is something that we have lost. That is something that we've been disconnected from through colonization because this very Western and in many ways informed by Christianity or at least Judeo-Christian or the Abrahamic religions, um, right? These are empire building religions and the Bible teaches um, that man has dominion over nature. And so I think these colonizer forces kind of have taken that and run amok with it, right? I don't believe necessarily, and I don't believe everything in the Bible, but I don't believe necessarily that it was the intent of the authors to say, take dominion and do with the earth whatever you please. You know, God or the Bible teaches to be um, a good steward of natural resources and um, also to love your neighbor. So being a good steward and loving your neighbor doesn't quite jive with marching into countries or, or marching into lands that you don't own and uh, trying to force those people into your spiritual practices, into your way of life. And if they don't comply, it's because they're savages. And so we need to kill them before they kill us. Right. And that's kind of the justification that was used during the crusades and a lot of these um, colonization movements. Uh, that was a lot. So for me, there was a lot to unravel there from my Christian upbringing and um, my European heritage and all that. But I think the, the re-indigenous, to get back onto my train of thought, <laughs> the re-indigenization helps build bridges of empathy between those cultures now, right? Once you realize that, that um, like the Kabbalah, the ancient Jewish mysticism and Sufi Islam and all of these uh, religions really have very strong um, connections with each other. <laughs> Uh, then it helps you be, be empathetic towards people that are different from you. And that was, that was a huge thing for me. I yeah. mean, that really helped open me up. Yeah. I think that a lot of what, you know, what we fail to recognize is that colonization was not just um, detrimental to the indigenous cultures that were wiped out or were, were or contained or, or, limited, or yeah, or, or limited or, or reduced but also the indigenous cultures that existed in Europe as well, right? That got colonized and, and really what colonization, what I feel is, is things became um, industrialized, right? It, we became machines. We became, we became um, producers, right? Um, Money-making 
soldiers, robots, whatever you want to call us. <laughs> Producers. I Producers, think yeah. And so so we lost that harmony with nature. We lost that connection. And not just, like, like I said, not just the indigenous people of the Americas, but also a lot of the indigenous people in Europe. I mean, the, the witches. That's why, in, I'm, that's why I'm disconnected, right? Yeah, I didn't right? know anything about that heritage because of colonization cut me off from my Celtic roots. Right. And so what ends up happening, I think, kind of going back into what you were saying before about getting caught into the, the guilt of it, right? It creates this really imbalanced perspective. This not wanting to feel a guilt makes you want to overcompensate to the point where then you want to control how it's going to be managed right how how the decolonization movement is going to be done or there's defensiveness because you don't want to feel the guilt so there's all this bypassing of that that creates to very imbalanced um cultural appropriation right because then we say oh i want to connect to these traditions and i want to honor them because they're they're so knowledgeable and i'm recognizing that um so how do we bring that back into balance well let's you know let's bring these these traditions out and i'll show people i'll show other people how i'll introduce other people to these traditions and then that starts um you know dismissing the people that are the lineage carriers you know the like Kale and other other um, teachers. So this entire movement right now with psychedelics kind of taps into that, right? There's this huge psychedelic and plant medicine movement happening right now, a renaissance, mm -hmm. um, if you will, of, of um, plant medicines. And it's become very tricky because there are people traveling to um, Latin American countries, to indigenous communities to sit with the medicines. And while you know, from the Aztec perspective, we are entering this period called the sixth sun, right? This is the dawn of the sixth sun. And we're entering this period of reawakening, of reconnecting, where it's time for that knowledge to be shared with everyone. So there's a little bit of, a, of an imbalance, right? Because on the one hand, the, um, the, the stories, the uh, traditions that were passed down by the ancestors indicate that this is the time, right? It's the time for all that wisdom to come out. And, but there's also this fear, right? And that's also a generational fear because our ancestors experienced that, experienced welcoming newcomers and opening up to them and saying, okay, we'll show you our ways. And then they were murdered, right? So there's, there's this, I think this generation is facing both of the things, right? Facing the it's time to share and also dealing with the fear of our ancestors that was passed down through our DNA, through our lineages, that gets passed down um, as well as the wisdom, right? Both things, the trauma and the wisdom get passed down. But in order to access the wisdom, we have to be willing to work through the trauma. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. And on both sides, on the sides of the um, descendants of the colonizers, as well as the descendants of the colonized, right? We're both kind of trapped in this fear mentality. And if we don't work through that trauma, we can't truly access all of the wisdom that's ready to come through. Mm. And I really feel like, the way we can help people of color who have suffered their lineage of, lineages have suffered through colonization is just through empathy, through sacred reciprocity, right? If we as Americans or uh, Westerners um, are seeking healing, if we're, if we're looking to go to Peru, for example, like we did in 2019, and experience the indigenous medicine that is ayahuasca, then we have to do that with the respect. We can go there as a taker, right? And just say, I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna experience ayahuasca and get healing and then I'm gonna come home. Or we can go there in what's known as sacred reciprocity and be willing to give back, or it, at the very least, give some empathy and understand how colonization has affected these cultures and in some ways isolated them in where they've had to hide. And I think there is a, a very legitimate fear of opening that up, right? So now um, it's, it's known as in um, Peru, it's known as the prophecy of the eagle, eagle and the condor. 
And the eagle represents North America, uh, the very masculine, intellect-based, um, capitalism, commerce, um, action, right? Like taking strong action. While the indigenous cultures of South America kind of represent more of the heart, the intuition. Um, it's more of a feminine um, uh, cooperative type culture, right? And so the idea is that these two cultures will come together once again after 500 years. So the dawn of the sixth sun for the Aztecs, um, the new age movement in the US would call it the age of Aquarius. Um, it's a rise of the feminine. For us in the North, it's a rise of the feminine. And in the South, it's, it's an introduction of the masculine, but the healthy masculine, not the shadow masculine that would come to conquer and defeat, but the healthy masculine that can teach that's showing up to protect the feminine, right? right? That's showing up and saying, I am the warrior. I'm here to hold space for you to spread the medicine, right? So as we show up, as we enter these these um, indigenous communities, how do we show up with that willingness to stand up for them and for their rights as well, right? We're not just showing up as takers. How do we give back to the land? And sometimes there's this huge... Um, misconception of how to give back right there are people that go to indigenous communities and say i'm going to set up a clinic and bring western medicine to these communities and those communities are like no thank you we don't want that you know you can you can invest in our communities you can buy the things that we're selling you can pay us what what we're charging for these medicines but don't come here and tell us how to live our lives right so as Westerners, as the eagle coming to these places, let's show up and say, what do you need? Let's listen to them. What do you need? How can we help? How can we offer back to you? Not here. I'm going to give you this thing. I'm going to create a school for you and you're going to go and learn our ways. That's not going to work. <laughs> it's kind of missing the point. Exactly. <laughs> so the healthy masculine shows up and says, how can I be of service to you, my feminine? And then the feminine says, I'm here to help. I'm here to help you heal. And these are the ways in which you can support that healing, right? And these are the ways in which you can support my work to heal whoever needs healing in this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, we talked about the anger earlier and there is a lot of that, especially on Instagram. <laughs> it's a lot of, I see this a lot on Instagram, these Instagram influencers who on one hand are kind of showcasing the indigenous wisdom and they do want to spread it, but then don't be white because you're not allowed here. This is a safe space. And it kind of, that really flies in the face of the, the spiritual impulse of the feminine to help heal the masculine, right? For the, the South to heal the North um, and then the North to protect the South, right? Again, that the rest, the sacred reciprocity of that relationship. Um, and again, it's understandable, um, the anger, but I think that, first of all, I, I think we, we kind of really laid it out in the sense that we're all indigenous. No one really owns any of this wisdom. First of all, all of this wisdom comes from inside. You know, these a lot of these indigenous cultures have, have intentionally kept the wisdom alive in their hearts and like I said, the colonization has cut a lot of the rest of us off from that, but it really all is inside. And really nobody owns the land. The land belongs to all of us. And it's up to us to be good stewards with that and each other to work together in harmony. And in that sense, balance the masculine and feminine in all of us, right? To have the, the masculine impulse to be protective and to provide, but also the feminine um, impulse to be empathetic and compassionate and care for as well. Um, and so I think it's very, really, that's where it begins. And, you know, I've, I've really felt this and believe this a lot that the, the way to solve the climate crisis or the, the reverse, the damaging effects on the earth, uh, of capitalism and colonization is not 
to create laws and regulations and all of these like kind of these neoliberal gestures that they're really just superficial gestures. Um, but to do the work of balancing your own masculine and feminine, because once you do that, you will no longer be abusive towards the planet or other people. You will be nurturing and caring and protective. And then the more of us that do that, and then hopefully you'll inspire others to do the same. And then the more of us that do that, then we'll all come into alignment with harmony in nature and things will get better. Yeah, I think that we um, we get very much into um, that masculine, like what action can we take, right? What action can we take to fix this? What, what do I need to do? What laws do I have to put into place in order to fix this thing? And um, like Danny said, it's all about going within and all of this wisdom is within. Uh, I think yesterday we were having this conversation about how there are so many different ways of different forms of spirituality out there. And, you know, there, there's this idea of there's no way up, there's not only, there's not just one way up the mountain, right? <laughs> and so, um, but for me, I feel like what we're all trying to do is connect back to God, to source, to unity, to um, the one consciousness, right? And the truth is we are already connected to that. We already are connected to God, to source, to unity. It's already there. We have to remove the blockages. That's what we're working on as a collective. And so the indigenous cultures have ways, have there, there are different methods for removing the blockages. Ultimately, the more I look into these traditions, into my traditions, a lot of it has to do with shadow work. A lot of it has to do with removing the blockages that prevent us from seeing that we're already there. And so when we're in this space of wanting to share these traditions, of course, like Danny says, there needs to be a reciprocity. And in the old ways, in the in the ways in which these indigenous communities existed, the healers were part of the community and the community took care of the healers, right? And so maybe because we have capitalist models of how that happens, we today healers charge. This is how much I charge for this type of healing. And, you know, there are people that are like, well, why are you charging for this type of healing, right? It's it's healing, it's it's for the benefit of the, of the community. But even in those community traditions, the healer needs to be taken care of. And maybe in the old days, the way communities were set up, people would bring offerings to the healers, right? Oh, you're the healer? Well, the farmer is going to bring you some 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 of the crops for this season and the tailor is going to help you with some of your, you know, like there's, there's reciprocity. I come to you for healing. I have offerings to you. And that's how these communities work together. We don't live in, for, in ways of community anymore or as much. We are, we do seem to be coming back into those models. Right. But. Yeah. And I think what's important about that is really, that is the core of, free market trade or free market capitalism. I mean, at least what capitalism has claimed to be, not what it is, how it is actually manifested, which is really more corporatism or, I mean, I don't want to get into that debate, but, um, you know, it's certainly free market trade and the, you know, it, it can take the form of barter where you're directly helping somebody by bringing them crops, uh, or it can take the form of monetary exchange. What is money, but just a, a representation of the time and energy, right? So instead of me having to bring them crops, they can, we, we, I will pay them money and then they can trade that money for whatever it is they need. Maybe they don't need crops this time around. Maybe they do just need the tailor. So I can, we, mm -hmm. I can pay them for the healing, right? That's all that money is. It's just a representation of the time and energy that we have put into creating something, a service or, or a product, right? So I think we kind of have to destigmatize money in that way uh, as well. That will help a little bit with understanding the concept of charging for healing. Or, yeah, of the reciprocity of that, because we, we think of reciprocity or, you know, there are some people that may see reciprocity. I was like, it's an exchange of energy and money is a form of energy, right? It, it's like you said, a representation of the energy. I work this many hours a week to get paid this amount of money. So this is a representation of the energy. I'm giving it to you so that you can 
use that energy for whatever it is that you need in, in that moment. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone at the dog park, and she was sharing with me that she feels guilty charging for, she's a childcare, she's a teacher, um, she's a preschool teacher, and she feels guilty charging for that because she believes that childcare is a fundamental human right. And I said, well, who has the right for you to take care of their child? And then it clicked. She was like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. It's not, it's not so much that it's a human right to for other people to take care of your children, but she's like, in, in modern society, it's a necessity, for, especially for people like single moms to be able to have uh, childcare so that they can work to provide for their families. Um, so I think there's that, that distinction that also, um, kind of affects some of the same people that are against charging for healing would probably kind of have that same view that, mm -hmm. oh, healing is a fundamental human right. And absolutely, we all have the right to heal ourselves in any way we see fit, but we don't have the right to other people's time and energy and, energy, and yeah. resources, right? So we need to be willing to give up our time and energy to trade for their time and energy. Right. Um, and so there's your capitalism one-on-one lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so kind of bringing into the whole mix of cultural appropriation and how that affects what's, you know, what's happening right now with this um, plant medicine movement is that we're, how do we give back, right? How do we give back in a way where, um, where it's, there's reciprocity. And also, how do we work through the shame and guilt so that we're not giving, we're not reciprocating, but doing it with that energy of shame and guilt, because that's also mm. bringing that energy back to those people. And, and mm. you know, then that's not reciprocity anymore. We're still giving with that guilt, with that shame, and that creates all sorts of barriers as well, right? And I think that there's, that that's a huge conversation that I see tends to be missing, right? We have this conversation of like, pay your healers. Yes, pay your healers, but are you doing your internal work to work through the shame and the guilt that you feel? Like you could have sat with this shame or guilt or this discomfort of, I don't have that culture, right? Vanessa's learning about her culture and it's a rich culture and I don't have that, what's my culture, right? And you could have just stayed with the, pushed away the discomfort but maybe it would have come out in some sort of resentment, some sort of nasty comment at some point or another, not really understanding why you felt that way, right? There was a time where Danny was working through some of his um, Christian upbringing while I was sharing a lot of my um, Toltec and Aztec wisdom as I was learning it. And so I would share things and he would be like, oh, in the Bible, it says this. And there was a period of time where that was really triggering because I think as I was unlocking this wisdom that I had been disconnected from because of Christianity, because of the way Christianity had tried to eradicate some of these ways, there was some of that energy, which was super confusing to me. And I think this is where it's super important to pay attention to what you're feeling and where it's coming from. Because after a while I realized, oh, this is probably, this seems and it feels like it's ancestral trauma. Don't put my stuff through your Christian filter because your Christian way of life is what eradicated this wisdom from my lineage, right? And so there was so much resistance. We both had to work through that, right? Mm -hmm. We had to work, I had to work through those feelings and say, I need you to take a step back and let me explore this without you putting it through your filter. And I also understood that he was understanding his and deprogramming. And in order to deprogram, he had to go through all of that again. So there was, it was this huge complex um, moment, I think for both of us, yeah. where we were both unlearning and relearning and it was very difficult and very mind boggling, <laughs> but, but that allowed for us to have real authentic conversations yeah. where I can also see your perspective and tie it into Christianity into the Bible, into the teachings that were originally meant 
the way they were meant to be and mm-hmm. not the way they've been warped, right? Because again, this sort of um, need to colonize and and control people affected not only the indigenous people, but also the people that did have the beliefs in Christianity and, and the teachings of, of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that got colonized as well. And so it's, it's so fascinating when we start looking at these things and really empathizing with empathizing with each other, listening to each other, we start to realize that we have a lot more things in common than we thought we did. And once we're able to see that, we're able to respect each other and bring those teachings together. Because I think over the years, that's what we've been able to do. That opened you up to saying, well, what else is there? What else do I have? What, what are my roots? Okay, let's look into Celtic traditions. And realizing that they are very much the same because they are all earth-based traditions it's about being in harmony with nature's and the cycles of life and when we started doing that our traditions have kind of come together in in such a beautiful way where we can connect with each other and there is true reciprocity there because we are both coming from full cups right we've both tapped in to our ancestry to to the wisdom that our ancestors held the wisdom of the earth and we come together with that and it's it builds as opposed to you coming from this empty space and wanting Can I please have some of your indigenous wisdom <laughs> right. because I don't have any <laughs> exactly yeah what I really love about our relationship is that I feel like in some way we have actually lived out the prophecy of the, <laughs> of the eagle and the condor in our relationship yes. right like you being much more empathetic and feminine and compassionate and me being hyper uh, like logical and intellectual and not to like intellectual, but just that I was a very much a masculine thinker, a a left brain, like, and for us to come together and help each other balance those aspects. I, you know, right. I mean, and, and that's, that's very, um, it, it's so, it's such a perfect picture of that, right? In in the sense that for me, I had those very feminine um, tendencies where I had no boundaries. And for a long time, that's what happened with the indigenous communities. They were giving, giving, giving and mm-hmm. not having the boundaries. And so that balancing of the eagle and the condor is the feminine having to set the boundaries and saying, yes, I'll help you heal, but you're not taking advantage of me anymore. Mm. And then the masculine coming in and saying, I, I will protect you. Tell me what you need from me. And I, um, that's what I'm here to do. I am willing to be of service and use my energy to protect you because now you need the space to bring that forward. And, and we've played that out very much in our relationship, which I think is, is pretty fascinating, but allows us to see that as it's happening externally as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about another aspect of colonization, which is the pharmaceuticalization of psychedelic medicines. And I do want to share this article that I read that was really good, Inside the Movement to Decolonize Psychedelic Pharma. Now, I have included a link to this article in the show notes, so you can check it out. Um, But basically what they cover in the article is all of the ways that the pharmaceutical industry right now is taking indigenous wisdom and practices and, well, this really isn't a new thing. It's a new thing with the psychedelic industry because now we're moving into a place where psychedelics are once again, as Vanessa said, there's a psychedelic renaissance, people have a greater interest. And so right now, pharma is developing a synthetic psilocybin. Um, and so what's happening is there, the FDA is actually about to approve some different um, therapies, but they're making it where you have to hire two therapists to trip sit with you for it to be legal. So it's going to be cost prohibitive. This, this is going to cost thousands of dollars for one session. Um, and th- this is free medicine that we could all have access to. I mean, if it wasn't for the colonizing bodies, the, the state telling us what we can and cannot do with our bodies we could all be growing our own mushrooms without fear of legal repercussion. Um, We could all be growing our own cannabis medicine, whatever medicine is we choose to use, because that is absolutely our fundamental human right to be able to choose what medicines we want to heal ourselves with. So what, what ends up happening is these financial powers, these pharmaceutical companies come in, they take what they want, pharmaceuticalize it, 
and then sell it back to us. And the, the governing bodies, the law bodies, the state say, you can't grow mushrooms on your own and take mushrooms on your own because then we're going to consider you a drug dealer and we're going to send the DEA after you. But you can buy from our friends here at Big Pharma. And that is absolutely one of the dark and negative aspects of colonization that affects all of us. So this is something that we really need to be aware of. There's a lot of great information in that article about what's actually happening right now in this moment, what's being perpetrated by these pharmaceutical companies. And while legalization and, or to a lesser degree legalization, mostly decriminalization is happening, which is okay. It's a, it's a step in the right direction, but that's not good enough for me because decriminalization, while it's great that they're lessening penalties, and maybe I won't have to sit in a cage, it's still prohibitive. It's very difficult to, for instance, buy mushroom spores um, or dip other things to be able to grow on our own. There's still a lot of um, legal danger to grow your own medicines. And that is unacceptable to me. So I think the more we can educate ourselves about what decolonization actually means, I think sometimes people get triggered uh, even by the term decolonization, because it has this kind of like white man is evil um, kind of energy attached to it. And that's not really at all what, what we're saying. Um, it's more of just the, the kind of the current system that rules over us. It's, it's really, I would call it corporate fascism. Sometimes people think that's a little too strong of a term um, because we're not like in this hard dictatorship like um, North Korea, but we are still controlled by this marriage between corporations or financial power and the state. So that's a big, um, you know, it's a concern for me. Yeah. And you know, what, what I find interesting when you were talking about the pharmaceutical companies taking the mushrooms and then creating their own products with that, that that's also limiting the potential for the healing because the the mushrooms have their own intelligence i mean we know that scientifically we know that the mushrooms have their own intelligence so to then limit it to say this is what this mushroom is going to be for it creates an entirely different experience for yeah. the person i think we we all experience what we're meant to experience from the mushrooms the earth knows what we need the mushrooms know what we need and so um i think that that makes it for a very dangerous situation and then when people start having negative experiences or negative side effects then blame they the blame the mushrooms yeah. instead of the fact that we're tampering with what this medicine really is yeah. right and so it's it's such a very tricky situation and it again comes down to being out of balance with the earth with nature and the ways in which we can come back into harmony the ways in which the i think the best way to decolonize is to re-indigenize right instead of taking the ways of colonization and applying them to a system to try to decolonize, to control something to go our way, we turn back to the ways of getting our answers from the land, right? Connecting to the cycles of nature, really tapping into that. And um, for me, you know, one of my teachers said uh, a few years ago, somebody was asking like, oh, well, I, I was born in, in, I think the person was born in Colombia or something. And, and she was like, I'm not technically a Mexica, right? I'm not an Aztec. And he was like, anybody who works with these practices is a Mexica. A Mexica is a way of life. It's a way of you connecting through these traditions. You're a Mexica. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where your ancestors are from. It's what you're connecting to if you're doing it with respect, right? And so that really shifted things for me because I, like I said, I felt very uncomfortable, like, all right, I'm going to learn about these things, but I won't practice it because, you know, it's not through my lineage. My, my grandmother didn't do this. So why should I do this? Right. It's I'm, I'm overstepping, which is so bizarre considering that, you know, I am Mexican, right? So I'm not overstepping anything. This is, these are my traditions that were lost and how are we going to bring them back if we don't connect with them, right? If we don't work with them, if we don't honor them. And so 
whenever I work with these traditions, I, I speak about my teachers. I talk about, you know, my maestro Wanawi. I talk about the different teachers that I've learned from. It's important to honor those teachers, honor those lineages. And I refer to them often because I want people, if, if they want to learn, they can learn through them if that would be better. You know, I want to reciprocate. I've paid my teachers as well. I want to make sure that I'm giving back to them and honoring them so that they are also receiving back for being the carriers of this wisdom, right? I don't want them to be, uh, to have carried all of this wisdom and then not receive anything in return. You know, Maestra Maria Sabina died in poverty. Why? And, and she shared all of this wisdom, but it, it was, you know, unfortunately, we weren't there yet as a collective in terms of our consciousness and our willingness to do the work. And I think we are in a place where a lot more people are willing to do their shadow work and start recognizing why do I feel uncomfortable? Why do I feel guilt and shame? If you hadn't um, looked at your guilt and shame and then said, okay, it's because I feel lost. I feel like I don't have anything. I don't have an identity. So how do I work through that? How do I reconnect to my identity? And then boom, there you go, right? You start finding about your history, connecting with your history, with your ancestors. And, you know, even if your, your grandparents and great grandparents weren't practicing these traditions, it's still alive in your DNA. So when you connect to it, it starts to reactivate and now you teach future generations as well. And that's how things start to shift. So that's, I mean, that's my, my greatest um, takeaway from this whole experience is that the way that we um, shift things is, is by re-indigenizing, by bringing mm -hmm. back these traditions with honor and reverence. And that's how the world is going to shift as well. And you know, there are going to be people that still want to hold on to the traditions and the wisdom and want to protect it because they have been taken advantage of. And I think that it's okay. You know, I think in this, in, at this point, I felt like I have empathy and I want to be gentle with that as well, because I understand the trauma that they carry. Those of, you know, we carry the wisdom within, but we also carry the trauma and not everybody's ready to look at that trauma. And, you know, not that they're not ready to look at it because they've been looking at it for so long, but not everybody's willing and ready to work through it. And we can hold space for that as well. So, you know, I think that's, that's where I'm at in that whole situation. Amen. I think that's a beautiful um, perspective. Um, if you're interested in psychedelic medicines, um, we are, Vanessa and I are psychedelic relationship coaches. So we do a lot of work with helping people, couples especially, but we also work with singles, uh, helping them integrate their psychedelic experiences. So if you feel like you've resonated with any of the things that we've been saying, and you're interested in learning more, please check out our website. We you can, there you go. Uh, you can click on the relationship coaching tab and that'll give you some of the information about how we do that. Um, and then there's the, our kind of questionnaire to work with us. And we also have a lot of fact, we have an FAQ about what relationship coaching is and what you can expect from uh, psychedelic relationship coaching <laughs> and what you can expect from that. And if you are interested in going to Peru, but you feel like, yeah, you know, a lot of what they said resonated, I would want to go on a retreat that I know and I can, I can feel confident that uh, sacred reciprocity is going to be honored. You can check out our mentor, <clears throat> Carla Mora, and her website is timetoheelus.com. And she is actually organizing a trip to Peru in October. And one of the things that I really love about Carla is the impeccability that she taught us. Um, and sacred reciprocity is huge for her. So this is not like, sometimes I like to call it fast food ayahuasca, right? Where you can go, you can fly down to Peru and you can pretty much anywhere there are places that are serving ayahuasca. Uh, you don't have to go to the jungle. They have them right in the cities. They have these little places that you could just go and drink the ayahuasca. Um, I kind of tend to call that like fast food ayahuasca. That's kind of like, uh, it's an experience for tourists in a way where that, it seems like that's what it has become. And even though I believe all psychedelic use is medicinal, whether that's 
the intention or not, you don't really get the full benefit and the full the full he, full healing experience from doing the fast food ayahuasca. Um, so I just can't speak enough to how Carla and her impeccability, and not just Carla, she's just facilitating the trip, right? She kind of pulls together and curates the experience, but the shamans that she works with are also amazing, impeccable people who have, I mean, we experienced so much healing in Peru and we're still two, three, three, <laughs> three years later, we're still integrating a lot of the, the healing that we received there. That's, that's how deep it goes. And, you know, I like to say that Carla is a cross between a drill instructor and a kindergarten teacher <laughs> because this was not like going on vacation. We had to do a dieta two months we had to. We didn't have to. Oh, right. Uh, one month. We didn't have to. But Carla recommends it. And we respect Carla so much that we voluntarily agreed to do the dieta for a month beforehand. We were doing all kinds of work, emotional work in preparation to go. Um, and even while we were there, she had us doing um, recapitulation ex uh, exercises from the works of Carlos Castaneda. And so many other things to really prepare you to experience the most amount of healing, to really get the most out of your trip. And after day one of the trip, we were like, oh, this was totally worth it. We could go home tomorrow. And this trip has totally been worth the, the healing we experienced in the first day. And we hadn't even sat with ayahuasca yet. We didn't even drink yet. So I highly recommend it. Um, you can find out more about that at timetoheelus.com. You click on the events tab, uh, you could see the Sacred Peru uh, uh, offering. offering. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this trip is in October, and Carla has been working on this for months now, um, really tapping into every piece that is being offered with this entire experience. Um, there's going to be Aztec birth chart readings um, done by yours truly. <laughs> um, she's preparing Icaro's medicine songs as a group to to um, to sing at the um, during the ayahuasca experience. She's preparing yoga sequences. She's a yoga instructor, so she's she's every single part of this experience is thoughtfully curated. Prayerful. Prayerfully, prayerfully curated. curated. Um, she's tapped into every single portion. I mean, Carla and I talk almost every single day, and she's always working on something. This is very, like, a very impeccable offering. Um, and back when we were planning to uh, go to Peru and sit with ayahuasca, with Mother Ayahuasca, you know, there, there was a point where the trip wasn't happening, where she was like, oh, I don't think this is going to happen. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just wait then for your next offering or for the next time you're able to do this because I don't feel comfortable going with anybody but you. And because I knew already how connected she was and how impeccable she has always been with this type of offering. And Danny has said before, Carla takes her, takes everybody's healing with as much enthusiasm, care, and commitment, commitment as she does her own. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, honestly, if you've ever been afraid or thought, oh, I don't know if I would feel comfortable doing this, but I am curious, you can always reach out to her and set up an explore, uh, exploratory consultation where you kind of um, chat about it, see if it's a good fit. And, you know, she's always willing to um, connect you with other healers as well if she feels that what you need is outside of her scope or that would resonate better with somebody else. She's amazing at all of that stuff. So definitely check her out and yeah. don't miss the opportunity to go to Peru because it'll change your life forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you feel complete? I feel complete. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us on the love stream. We do have one sponsor that I want to just shout out, and that is uh, Brave Botanicals. And particularly, I love their um, Delta 8 THC gummies. And so watch this.
Do you want free weed? Well, of course you do. John Bush here to tell you how to get it. My health supplement company, Brave Botanicals, is giving away a free five-pack of delicious Delta 8 THC gummies. What's Delta 8 THC, you might ask? It's just like regular THC, except it's derived from the hemp plant. And the high you get from Delta 8 is much more mellow and calm without the anxiety or paranoia many people experience with regular THC. The best part is, thanks to a clever loophole, Delta 8 THC is completely legal at the federal level and is legal in most states, including many where cannabis is still banned. If you want to relax, get better sleep, and even relieve chronic pain, go to FreeD8Gummies.com to get a free five-pack of tasty Delta 8 gummies shipped to you today. That's FreeD, the number 8, gummies.com. And with that, we like to thank you for being here. We always appreciate you spending your time with us. Happy Sovereign Sunday. Happy Sovereign Sunday. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening.